In 2019, 39% of adults had back pain. That means one in three suffered in one form or another. With those odds, you know someone, or many someones, where you yourself have suffered or are suffering from low back pain. Like most things, there are a litany of causes and different types of low back pain. Some of us drew an unlucky card and may have a birth defect like scoliosis or spina bifida. More, many more may draw that unlucky card later and could be involved in a traumatic incident like a car accident. However, I'm pretty sure there were not 128 million auto accidents in 2019. There weren't. There was only 6.76 million which leaves 120 million cases of low back pain left without a cause such as traumatic injury. So what is going on with low back pain? Why are so many adults plagued by it? Is low back pain something that we can manage or even potentially treat ourselves? We answer this and more. Hi, my name is Andrew Pafford, and I'm a health and wellness professional with over a decade of experience helping Olympic-level athletes, desk jockeys, and seniors achieving their goals, and improving their quality of life. Our goal with Prometing is to find simple, at-home techniques and strategies rooted in science to help you with your health-related goals. Our information is meant to be descriptive, not prescriptive. We will always recommend that you talk to your appropriate health professional before making any serious changes to your routines. Now, I've worked with many clients suffering from low back pain, from athletes to desk jockeys to those in their golden years, each back that had an issue was unique. There was slash is no surefire protocol to fix low back pain as unique onsets need unique interventions. However, using the goal of returning to normal may sound obvious, but once you are able to ascertain where you may exist outside of the healthy range, developing a protocol to get back can be pretty straightforward. First, let's discuss the very basics of the spine. Your spine is made of segments called vertebrae. They have a body where they physically stack on top of one another using a cushion in between called vertebral discs. The body is solid bone to support load, while on the backside, it has a hollow ring to allow for the spinal cord to run called the vertebral foramen. Foramen basically means hole in Latin. So we have the body of the vertebrae that supports us, the discs that provide cushion, and we have the vertebral foramen that protects the spinal cord and gives it room to run. We'll add one more piece worth noting, and that is a piece called the facets. These are effectively your spine's doorstop. When I bend over backwards, my vertebrae literally bump into one another and come to a hard stop. That is the facets closing down and protecting me from continuing to bend over and snap my back in half. These will be important later. Finally, as you may already be aware, our spinal cord sends out nerves at every level of the spine. When the vertebrae are stacked, they make holes on the sides called transverse foramen, where the nerves can extend off the spinal cord and innervate our bodies at each level. What's unique about vertebrae is they are not all created equal. They all share similar landmarks, but they're not identical. For example, the bodies of your vertebrae in your neck are not very large because they don't have to hold much, just your head. The bodies of the vertebrae in your low back, however, are quite large as they have to hold your head and your entire torso. With shape, 
becomes function. My smaller cervical vertebrae in my neck allow for more range of motion, so I can move my head quite freely. But my low back is extremely limited in its degrees of freedom. The larger shape of the body obstructs movement, and thus the form fits the function. So this is a reductive, simplistic explanation of the spinal column and how it functions. Now, there are a number of ways that things can go bad, and some absolutely need surgical intervention. However, there are a number of conditions where performing the appropriate exercises or correcting lifestyle habits could very well remedy the problem. Those are the ones that we'll be covering today. And the first order of business is a bulging disc. We discussed how the discs rest between the bodies of the vertebrae to provide cushion for the bones. Just behind the discs and the bodies of the vertebrae lie the spinal cord. As the name implies, when a disc bulges, it protrudes from its normal resting spot. In an unfortunate case, the disc bulges backwards or posteriorly towards the spinal cord, at which point touching and applying pressure to the spinal cord creates all sorts of interference that the medical industry dubs neuropathy. The more the disc pushes on the cord, the more fun sensations are experienced like burning, electric jolts, numbness, weakness, and of course, pain. The fun was sarcasm if you're not following along at home. Bulges may occur gradually or acutely, but they happen through arguably the same mechanism, poor spinal mechanics. Imagine, if you will, a stress ball, a moderately soft, squishy ball that one would squeeze for the purpose of potentially relieving stress by having something to physically vent your aggression on. Like a stress ball, your disc has similar characteristics. A squishy, jelly center to absorb shock and allow for malleability, and a tough exterior to keep that jelly contained. As you squeeze the stress ball, it conforms to the pressure points and migrates subtly to the path of least resistance, the small nooks and crannies of your fist. Some space between the fingers, but likely towards the natural O that you form with your index finger and thumb. This, too, happens with your discs. When the spine is compressed in a neutral position, there is no one favorable place for the stress to go, so it presses outward evenly on all sides of the disc. However, let's say you were hunched over and picking up something, or you were attempting to lift something and your back rounded while you were trying to lift it. In this manner, when you are bent over, the bodies of the vertebrae have closed off space in the front or anterior portion of the spine, blocking the disc from expanding in that direction. At the same time, you have now opened up space on the back or posterior side of the vertebrae and have formed that metaphorical O for the jelly to migrate to. Now, instead of your disc resisting forces evenly on all sides, you have focused the force on only one point of the disc, like a battering ram, trying to smash its way through the fibrous wall, holding that jelly in. And when that wall becomes compromised, whether it be from lots of small knocks from that battering ram, or one nice well-placed shot, the jelly center pokes through and says hello to your spinal cord. This is typically the main mechanism for injury involving bulging discs. But as always, humans are creative, and there are other ways we can have a disc slip in any direction of the transverse plane. The next thing things can go sideways, no pun intended, 
is when the vertebrae themselves shift slightly out of place. This is called a spondylolisthesis. Vertebrae can shift in all manner of ways and manifest in different symptoms depending on what structure is being stressed. Our bodies are fantastic at trying to maintain the status quo, and our skeletal structure is no exception. It is not uncommon that when something is out of place, that the surrounding musculature tightens or engages as a means to stabilize the vulnerable area. This can be an indicator when no matter how much massaging or stretching you do, relief just won't come. Because the root cause is not being treated, the symptoms won't go away. We'll discuss two causes later because they invariably lead right to the means of addressing them. The final one I want to address today is facet joint syndrome. Remember those door stops that I mentioned that keep you from bending over backwards too far and snapping your back in half? Well, abusing those can lead to inflammation and musculature stiffness slash soreness that also doesn't alleviate with stretching or soft tissue work. This condition is predominantly caused by individuals who are chronically overextended, which tends to be athletes and individuals with poor trunk or core control. In postural terms, your level of physical activity or arousal, not sexual arousal, is often associated with your posture. If you are in a seated position and you start to fall asleep, your head and shoulders naturally roll forward into a flexed position. So low arousal is associated with flexion. When we're awake, our spinal extensors help maintain our upright posture. And in many other examples, Flexion is associated with the low arousal, and extension is associated with the high arousal. Playing sports typically demands being on the highest degree of on that you could possibly be, so it's not uncommon to find athletes who have an over-engaged back or posterior chain because of the constant need to be in a higher state of arousal. Some sports even demand these specific overextended positions, such as gymnastics. This posture is easy to spot and is often called lordosis. This is also demonstrated in individuals who may not be active but have poor core control with day-to-day -day postures. Your back and abdominal muscles can control the tilt of your pelvis. If you'd like to follow along at home, you can try this, but you can determine how your pelvis is tilted and with practice can actually control it using a simple exercise. While standing, Hold your hands at the side of your hips, with the side of your index finger knuckle touching your hips, hands open, fingertips pointed forward, and palms facing down. Essentially, your straight hand should be running along the line of your belt line. If you were to tip your pelvis so that your fingers are pointing down at an angle, called an anterior tilt, you would be relaxing your abdomen and engaging your back muscles to arch your back to create this tilt. This position, if done constantly and chronically, is called lordosis. Because of the lack of muscle activation in the abdomen, the pelvis tilts forward and only comes to a stop when the facets in the back slam into each other, or rather, when the doorstop engages. And these are meant to be just-in-case joints, not use-every-day-for-hours-on-end joints and have used that frequently for a job that they're not designed to do, they get angry. The body tries to protect the area by engaging the muscles in the low back. 
At this point, we have three types of issues that can arise from lifestyle that create back pain. Disc bulges, spondylolisthesis, and facet joint inflammation. The first two are typically only able to be diagnosed through imaging, such as an x-ray or MRI. The latter is hard because the joints are so small, the inflammation is difficult to read on normal imaging, so an injection with dye is used to make it stand out better. It should be noted that if your back pain is interrupting your day-to-day functioning, you should absolutely talk with your physician as imaging can remove a lot of the guesswork and it's much easier to get treatment for something when you have a clear diagnosis. Now going forward, these at-home screens and exercises should not be used to supplant doctor's orders. Just because you have not been diagnosed with a problem yet doesn't mean you don't yet have one. So tread with care and use this information to have a better informed discussion with your healthcare provider. Starters, we need to establish a go and no-go space. As we discussed, various ailments, some issues can arise from too much flexion, bending over, and other issues can arise from too much extension or arching your back. If you have low back pain, you probably already have a good understanding of which of these two positions causes you pain. Surprise, surprise, if it hurts, don't do it. This is why stretching your back may be helpful for some and insanely painful for others. In the case of facet joint syndrome, stretching the low back could be good because it's taking pressure off of the facets, but in a bulging disc situation, bending over and stretching the back is opening that space to allow the bulge to push out more. So the first order of business is to know where you shouldn't go. This naturally segues us to step number two, spend more time where it doesn't hurt. Arching my back creates pain. I need to spend more time in flexion. Bending forward, lying supine on the ground and hugging my knees, child's pose, etc. Taking yourself out of the painful position is the first step to healing. I call this taking your hand off the hot stove. While it should be common sense, it never ceases to amaze me how people just grin and bear it because they don't think the position is what's hurting them, but rather some uncontrollable force like old age or my family's bad back problem. Now, Step three sounds simple in theory, but is extremely challenging in practice. That is, stay out of the bad positions. While that sounds flippant and ignorant, let's use some examples. If I have a job that requires me to stay on my feet, I may not have the abdominal control necessary to keep me out of an extended position all day. If I'm tethered to my desk and I have an uncomfortable chair provided by my work, I may be stuck in a flexed position, clacking away at my terminal all day long. And yet, in order to correct the back problem, we have to correct the behaviors creating the problem. First and foremost is identifying the bad behaviors, lifestyles, positions, doing the damage in the first place. Closely related to identifying the problem is training and exercise. I may be aware that I need to activate my abdominal muscles to stabilize my low back. But if I have no idea how to do so, or my musculature is too weak to pull it off or engage for extended periods of time, then I need to spend time fixing that. And that means working out. Not just doing sit-ups and calling it a day, but targeted corrective exercises that will elicit the response we're looking for. This is where there are a couple of options at our disposal. One 
is to seek professional help from a trainer who specializes in corrective exercise or a physio. Already are seeing a physician about your back pain, asking for a referral to a physical therapist is certainly a better shot than taking pain meds. We've seen how the opioid epidemic came about because of doctors prescribing medication for pain. If you're only taking pain medicines and not addressing the underlying cause, then it will only be a matter of time before the cause continues to escalate and the pain meds won't be able to supersede the level of pain. Further, the pain is the feedback from my body that I'm in a bad position. If the medicine masks the pain and therefore my bad habits, how do I know if I'm hanging out in a bad position or not? This further makes it harder to correct poor mechanics. The other option is a deep dive on the internet to research, learn, and understand from qualified individuals, such as Primity. Exercise is not trademarkable or proprietary information, and so the knowledge readily exists now in places like podcasts and YouTube. Primity will be launching videos discussing exercises and when they are appropriate. While a wonderful free option, this also involves time and a good sense of body awareness. You may think you're performing an exercise correctly, but unless you have that body awareness or a trained eye watching you, there's no guarantee that you're doing it right. A trade-off worth considering depending on your current situation. Another extremely important point worth mentioning is mobility. Body is unique in that our joints alternate function between mobility and stability. Ankle can move in all three planes of motion and is very mobile. The knee is really only designed to move in one plane of motion and is designed to be stable. The hips are very mobile, and as we discussed earlier, the low back is designed to be stable as it has very little motion and has to support the entirety of the trunk and upper body. Our bodies are also good at compensating when certain structures fail to live up to their purpose. In one-off situations, we may be capable of performing less than stellar movement patterns to accomplish a task so that we can live to see the light of another day. Over time, however, these poor compensations add up and lead to injury. In the case of low back pain, if my hip mobility diminishes over time, say, as we age and become less athletic and mobile with a nice sedentary retirement lifestyle, it's not far-fetched to say that our hip mobility diminishes with lack of use, because if we don't use it, we lose it. Since our mobile joint, the hips, are now no longer mobile like they should be, when the need for mobility arises, our bodies compensate by creating mobility at the next available joint, above or below. This means the knee or the low back now have to step up to the plate to create mobility where they are not designed to do so because they're supposed to be stable, not mobile. Again, a one-off situation is probably not going to be noticeable. However, should an individual choose to engage in a form of activity that requires that hip mobility, say, playing golf with all that newfound free time and retirement, then we now have a case where the low back is repeatedly trying to become mobile where the hips are failing at their duty. As a result, this creates instability in the vertebrae at the low back. To protect itself from you, the body will attempt to tighten the surrounding musculature in the low back to bring stability to the spine. 
This is pretty classic for when stretching the problem area doesn't improve symptoms and only rest seems to help. Stretching effectively destabilizes the spine, making the body want to tighten up more. With rest, the tissues aren't being aggravated and over time relax because the low back isn't being forced to move in a manner that it's not designed. But rest, however, doesn't get golf played. The solution? Fix your mobility. Since most sports require freedom of motion in all planes, then one could expect to need all of the mobility the hip has to offer. Hip extension, flexion, adduction, abduction, internal and external rotation. Appropriate soft tissue work and stretching can improve these ranges of motion and should be incorporated into a good corrective exercise protocol. Being deficient in any one of those movements could mean deficient range of motion in the hips and therefore low back compensation. Corrective exercise becomes a strong option for the maladies that we've referenced today. In the case of a bulging disc, poor lifting mechanics where the spine shifts under load is a great mechanism for injury. Practicing appropriate spinal alignment and bracing techniques while lifting corrects that dangerous movement and diminishes the potential for further injury. In spondylolisthesis, a spine with weakened musculature surrounding the spine provides less stability to the vertebrae and allows for greater likelihood of the vertebrae shifting out of place. While a chiropractor or physio may be necessary to get the spine back into alignment, without that musculature to hold it in place, it will only be a matter of time before it will slip right back out again. And with facet joint inflammation, training the abdominal musculature to engage means needing to establish new neural firing patterns. That means practice, practice, practice. Without performing exercises that mimic our daily movement patterns, while focusing on core engagement, you'll be less likely to engage it successfully in real life once distractions start demanding your attention. That core activation will need to be muscle memory if it's going to serve you well on a daily basis. Well, today we covered a great deal of info on non-acute low back pain arguably the most common form of low back pain in individuals. As always, let's recap to drive home the finer points and to reiterate what our action points are. Our spine is a complex and versatile structure. With complexity means it can also fail in complex ways. Bulging discs can be caused from repetitive, poor lifting mechanics. Spondylolisthesis can result from weak spinal stabilizers. Set joint inflammation can occur from hanging out in an overextended position for too long. Principles of fixing low back pain are simple, but not easy in execution. First, find your go and no-go spaces. Spend as much time as possible in positions that feel good. And second, avoid your no-go spaces. Positions and lifestyle habits that exacerbate your back will make your situation worse. If the activity can't be avoided, Correcting the technique may be the only solution that's actually needed. Third, corrective exercise will help you practice good form and improve muscle strength, flexibility, and endurance. Or hip mobility can also be a huge factor in low back pain. The less mobile the hips are, the more the low back has to compensate. Pain is your guide to recover. 
don't jump to masking it with medication. Without it, you won't know if you're doing something good or bad. The better you are, the more the pain will go away. Chiro, physio, or trainer are great professional resources to consider before taking pain medication. The internet has valuable resources to help you with corrective exercise at home. The only shortcomings, however, are time and accuracy. It might be hard to replicate instructions at home if you don't have good body awareness or a watchful eye. Low back pain can be life-altering in all the bad ways. It also does not discriminate between young and old. I've seen teenagers, desk jockeys, and seniors all suffering from low back pain and have witnessed them make full recoveries without needing medication or surgery. Remember, not all back pain can be fixed with exercise and lifestyle change. Some are born with congenital issues. Others may have had a traumatic event. You should always engage your doctor if your back pain is severe enough and prevents you from performing your day-to-day activities. Imaging can be crucial to help correctly diagnose an issue and rule in or out causes and treatments. That's it for today's episode of Primity. If you found this information helpful, please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when new episodes arrive. You can also find us on YouTube podcasts. If you think you would benefit from receiving health and wellness coaching, you can always contact us at info at We're always curious to see what you're curious about, so send us your questions, comments, and feedback also to info at And as always, strength comes in many forms, from within and without. So be strong to be useful. Take care, everyone, and stay strong.